Today, you're listening to the Corporate Explainers podcast. We are your hosts, Gautam and Amate. We explore the various careers available in the world economy through interviews. We unclutter the world of business and help explain diverse roles and careers. Hello listeners, welcome to the fourth episode of the season two of the Corporate Explainers podcast. It was in the summer of 2018 when I first read the book Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. It was something I picked up from the airport for reading on the flight. It turned out to be one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. The whole concept of nudging, of intervening, of behavioral economics and behavioral science fascinated me. The nudge theory drove me to read more about behavioral science. Nudge is defined as a small inexpensive intervention which can be made to alter or bring about a change in the human behavior. The most important thing to note here is nudges are not taxes, fines, subsidies. They are sort of subtle changes which are cheap and effective. The internet is filled with different case studies on how what are the different kind of nudges which exist in the world. I'll just give you a quick example. Imagine you want people to make healthier choices while eating at a buffet. Keeping healthier food options like fruits and salads at eye level and at the start of the buffet can lead to better outcomes. Continuing with the food example, the next time you go to for gro- for your grocery shopping, do not go on an empty stomach. This will lead you to not picking up snacks or foods which you do not need or you which you would have otherwise not picked. because humans be human beings in the traditional economic sense are considered to be rational decision making human beings but in reality we are not we are fall we are fallible we make poor choices and behavioral science drives us into making better choices we wanted to bring somebody who is an experienced professional and who has who's been working in this very fast growing and unique field Charlie is a behavioral architect working in a behavioral science consulting company based out of the England. Charlie talks about the awesome work he and his firm are doing in the applied behavioral science space. We discuss a couple of interesting case studies on behavioral science which which are just fascinating and are sure to uh, get you hooked on the behavioral science bandwagon. This is a very insightful and a fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Hey Charlie, thank you for taking the time out today and talking to us on the Corporate Explainers podcast. You are in a career which I really admire and like to read about a lot. So you are somebody who's in the behavior science uh, space, closely related to what a behavioral economist would do. Uh, I am a big fan of books like Nudge, uh, big fan of Dan Ariely, big fan of Cass Sunstein, Richard Thaler. So I follow this a lot. but we wanted to get to know you and understand what you do at a more functional level so that we get uh, an idea of what a sort of behavior scientist does in a corporate setting and not just in an academic setting so that is why we wanted to have you on the show so why don't you start off and just talk about a little bit what you are currently doing for uh, currently doing as a behavior scientist and how did you experiment your way to your current position Yeah well firstly thank you very much for having me on the podcast I really appreciate it. Um so 
Um, my, I am a behavioral architect at Cowrie Consulting and uh, my role currently focuses around um, putting academic literature to work for businesses. And that means applying those behavioral science principles and insights to a variety of different business contexts across a number of different sectors, such as finance, retail, utilities, and health and safety. And um, for those listeners who may not, may not know or may be quite new to behavioral science, um, in essence, what behavioral science or what behavioral economics is built on is this idea that a lot of the, a lot of the mathematical economic models that say we are rational human beings who always make the perfect choices in every scenario essentially says that those models aren't perfect because in reality people people make suboptimal or poor decisions at various times in their life one clear examples of this particularly which has been highly documented in behavioral science is the fact that people don't save enough for their pensions that is a really big problem and a growing problem, the fact that people much rather live in the present compared to thinking about their retirement. And as a result, there are a lot of people who retire into poverty. And it's a really big problem in terms of if you're thinking about as a rational human being, you would know exactly how much money you should have for the retirement you want. And as a result, people just don't do that. And that's kind of a lot of those reasons how behavioral science looks to use these different biases or mental shortcuts to help people make more informed choices Anything in the words of um, in nudge in terms of understanding people's health, wealth and happiness. Um, so in terms of my journey to Cowrie Consulting, kind of, as you think you said, experimenting my way there, my road is definitely not that smooth or linear. It has a variety of different touch points um, and it starts with a moment in my life or one of the moments in my life, which with hindsight, I recall as one of the best decisions I didn't make for myself. And what I mean by that is, um, if we cast, if cast back in time to my undergraduate degree, as part of my course, um, between my second and third year, I was supposed to take a, a year out doing a work placement with a, a company of my choosing, if they chose me and I thought it was a good company to work with. However, after a number of interviews and a quite competitive work placement application process, I ended up not getting one of those work placement years. And because of that, I went straight into my third and final year and I had to pick up an optional module um, to, be, to make up the course credits that I missed out on for the work placement. And as a result, that optional module was behavioral economics. And that was my kind of my first first real exposure to behavioral economics or behavioral science and it was that was the moment that I had for what I find a lot of people have in behavioral science like you guys is that you get that light bulb moment where everything just clicks and all these different biases and heuristics these certain behaviors that people do they just make so much sense and you just really think and you start spotting them everywhere in terms of behaviors that other people do behaviors that you do yourself and you just really switch on and really think that this is really great all these different biases and heuristics all these little changes that you can make in the choice environment can have such monumental impacts on people's decisions and that just really hooked me in and i thoroughly enjoyed i thoroughly enjoyed that module and 
was really kind of that's kind of like started dipping my toe into it and really discovering more and then after after graduating from my undergraduate degree I was continuing to read books about it while I was on a sales and marketing graduate scheme and that's when I cast back to that behavioral economics module and subsequently decided to um, end that graduate scheme after eight months and I applied for a, a master's in behavioral science at the University of Stirling in Scotland again which gave me a really wonderful in-depth in-depth journey into behavioral science understanding it a lot more kind of the needs for academic and rigorous research kind of the the more kind of experimental side of behavioral science as well as deepening my understanding of the different behavioral biases and heuristics so i mean that is the story of the best decision that i didn't make for myself of not getting the placement and led to my master's degree and then following my master's degree um i did two weeks i did two weeks i did two years two years work as a economic consultant in the north of england before getting a place onto the Cowrie Summer School in 2020, which then led to a permanent role at Cowrie itself. So a journey, again, as I said, with a lot of touch points, and it, it does go to show that certain things you may take on certain roles and they may not be, may not be the, the role that you think that's best for you. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do until I completed my master's degree and I knew that I wanted to apply behavioral science in the consulting space. And I think that's when I was uh, 21, 22 years old, 23 years old. Is That's only at that point, that's when I knew that what I wanted to do. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure on young people nowadays to know what they want to do as a career at ages 15 and 16. And I think there's, there's, there's no cap on needing to know when you want to do something. I think so. Some people don't know until they're much later in their career, maybe take on a university course in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And I think it's, yeah, it's just really, it's a good insight to know for other people that there is no time cap on that. Thank you for that, Charlie. I think you touched upon a very important point where you talk about how it is okay for people to be confused at whichever stage of the career they are in, because you will have to continue experimenting and figuring out what works for you. An optional module of behavioral science worked for you. It would be a different course for somebody else. But I want to dive deeper into the point which you talked about that you wanted to learn about how behavioral science is being employed in consulting. And mm -hmm. so why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what are some of the problems or challenges you come across or have solved using behavioral science principles? Yeah, of course. So particularly at Kauri, we we have um, four different propositions that we work with businesses on and they're all brought, each of them are broadly, broadly kind of built upon a, a different problem or a different question for how we can help businesses or any of our clients. So firstly, um, there's one, the first area that we work in is what we refer to as DIG. And in particular, this is, um, how can how can clients understand their customers on a subconscious level so we work with clients um using psychometric biometric and neurometric tests also known as system one research to better understand how customers or their employees are feeling and behaving and trying to really understand those subconscious contextual behaviors uh, the second one is what we refer to as fix and this is the question here is that how can clients optimize their current assets 
and their current communications. And this is where Carrie does a lot of their work at the moment. And this is looking at clients' current assets, whether this be um, their web page, maybe a, a customer purchasing journey, or it could be something as simple as an email or a letter they're sending out to customers. And we will go over that that will go over that content using a behavioral lens to see where there's certain areas of friction. Where are those behavioral barriers that are preventing customers for um, reach, performing those desired behaviors? So you could take an example of an email and this email might be um, an email asking people to sign up for a certain event, which will enhance their knowledge about different financial services. And if we could look at this email, that they, the client currently has, it may have waves and waves of text. It could just be a big block of text that looks very cognitively overloading. And the kind of the hyperlink or the button to, or that call to action to get people to sign up to the event. Um, this might be really small. It might be really hard to see. It may not stand out. Or in some cases, it may be, may be hidden as a hyperlink on one of the letters within one of the words within this par large paragraph of text and all these different factors are preventing customers from signing up to this event they're going to look at this email with loads of text and they're going to think oh this is this is a lot to read i'm going to disengage straight away and if they do read it they may even miss the call to action and just they may want to go to the event but they may not be able to see where how they can access it so we would review that in terms of identifying those behavioral barriers or friction points and then look to optimize it kind of creating conceptual redesigns of what that email could look like with behavioral principles baked into it. That third area that we work in, uh, we refer to as teach. And in particular, this is how can organizations learn more about behavioral science? And in most cases we work with, we do one project with a client. We get, get that real good proof of concept that behavioral science works. And often they simply just, fall in love with behavioral science and they just think that it's this wonderful, amazing thing that they can do to optimize their employee and customer experience, their kind of different, different KPIs that they've got. And they just want to learn more as an organization, but the, the, the people that we work with themselves. So at Cari, we have the Cari Academy and they, and we run a series of different levels of um, courses to train people up within organizations, ideally moving towards our own clients having their own centers of excellence in behavioral science to start applying this themselves. Um, and then finally, our fourth area that we, we work in, we refer to as build. And in particular, this is helping businesses bake in behavioral science from the ground up. Um, and if we think back to fix, where we are looking at clients' current assets that they've already designed or they've already started using, this is where we'd come in from the ground floor and we would work with them at that first instance. So rather than having to fix something that's been already exposed to clients or employees, we're building it in from the ground up using behavioral science as a foundation to work, move forward. And so it's optimized from the get-go. Right. I think that's quite helpful. You have structured it quite clearly into four parts. Just to summarize, the step one would be sort of understanding what your customer is, what their journey is, and who they are. That's the dig. And then mm -hmm. you talk about fix where you are coming in and making streamlining the existing processes better. You're trying to improvise into certain aspects of the existing infrastructure. And then the teach 
which uh, where you talk about behavioral science you teach about behavioral science to organizations and how they can leverage behavioral science in in, in their work and then obviously build where you help the clients uh, build from the ground up build the processes build the infrastructure required in whatever business function they are in correctly right so i'll tell you how i learned about i'll tell you how i learned about cori consulting uh, i came across this work which uh, you guys have done around uh, where you one of our one of your clients who was in the construction space you had pay, the, the client was facing challenges around lot of accidents lot of workplace uh, issues and one of the steps where you stepped in and did was you painted the walls of the cafeteria into a pink color a baker miller pink color if i'm not wrong mm-hmm. and that has helped drastically reduce the number of accidents taking place in that in that construction site uh, obviously this was one of the intervention which you did and this just blew my mind right how some how the color of the wall can have such a large impact so charlie do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, give any other case study or any other example of similar sort of insights yeah yeah no um it's really good you really good point that you make there and that that is that's one of my favorite case studies that of carry itself because i think it is simply wonderful in terms of the pink walls they really spark that engagement of people thinking that something quite creative like painting pink walls can have an impact on people's behavior um and i think one of the interesting things about that case study is the fact that it wasn't just the pink walls that was the kind of the effective intervention in there there was a lot of different things that were involved in that um so to just give um in terms of giving a bit more context about that pink wall study as you said uh, yeah um, a construction company came to carry um as they wanted to improve their health and safety um numbers and um in the specific part of the construction sector that they were in um it was a highly competitive market and a lot of the times businesses who they were applying for different construction contracts and the competition was so was so immense in terms of them a lot of construction companies being really effective at what they do a lot of the times it simply came down to who had the better health and safety record and if you had a few, one or two few just a few more accidents compared to someone else that could be the decider between winning a multi-million pound construction contract so this small thing is immensely important for this construction company and they wanted carry to come in to try and reduce the level of on-site work accidents so this did involve carry kind of going on site hard hats on going and looking at all these different construction workers who were potentially um performing unsafe behaviors and kind of being more prone to accidents um and what we found is a lot a lot of the times the construction workers they were leaving breaks off on the equipment they were reaching across ladders on one leg they weren't closing gates correctly and even one thing that we learned from that is when there was a health and safety manager walking around a lot of them had a certain kind of call or whistle that they would do so other people know that the health and safety manager is coming around so that very split moment that they're in sight they will perform those behaviors correctly and then once they've disappeared they'd start to start behaving the way that they used to because they think it's more quicker and more efficient but in reality it's risking risking their health and it's also risking the business 
Um, and so on the different insights that uh, we produced, Carrie introduced a number of different interventions. And as you mentioned, Amato, then the pink walls was the first part of that. So in particular, when we went and visited the breakout rooms that these that the workers would work in, there was a lot of a lot of red warning signs, a lot of information alerts across the different different boards trying to prompt people about information, really overloading a lot of red, yellow alert warning colours. Not something that you want to think about when you're going into work. And also the tables were designed in a way which excluded people from sitting with others. It wasn't really welcoming to allow other people to sit with you if they weren't like in your friendship group or your social circle with your colleagues. So we completely redesigned the break room. We changed the layout of those tables. We got rid of all those different warning signs. But as you mentioned, particularly, we, um, we painted all the walls pink. And this is uh, it's known as Baker Miller pink or drunk tank pink. Uh, essentially, this color has been shown to reduce, reduce testosterone and reduce aggression in people. Often why it was used as a drunk tank pink, it will reduce the aggressive behaviors of people who've been thrown in prison for the night so they can cool off. And in fact, um, the pink walls were used by um, Norwich City Football Club in their away changing room a couple of years ago when they were promoted to the Premier League, which may or may have not had a really effective impact on their on their results that season. And um, I believe it is also banned in the NFL from away changing rooms for having such an impact on the aggression levels in the game. So it's really interesting about how something is kind of novel as changing walls pink can have a dramatic effect but the other intervention which was part of that study which i think is really interesting was the was the introduction of a, a lottery gold card so how this was set up was uh, all of the construction staff were given a gold card and every week at the end of the week there was a lottery for all the construction workers who were behave, behaving kind of well behaving correctly behaving in a safe manner and there was a lottery for a variety of different rewards which changed every week however if you were found to kind of breaking the health and safety rules you weren't performing your job in a safe manner you would lose your gold card and you would lose a chance to be in that lottery but on top of that you would, or everybody else in your team would lose their lottery card as well, which adds another layer of that social accountability of you think you're behaving, so you behave safely so you don't lose out on the lottery, but then all your mates aren't really annoyed at you because they've lost out on winning a 50-inch flat screen TV this week. And it's really interesting, both those, in terms of the novelty of those pink walls and also the, the real strong power of lottery incentives as well as that social norm aspect and how we behave in certain ways based on our social circles and as a result of those interventions on top of the other ones that we we kind of we used in that study um, we saw an 82 percent reduction in unsafe behaviors when working at height and a 92 percent reduction in unsafe behaviors for material movement and they are some really really great numbers which we were really proud of. And we've, we've won multiple awards for that in, in national health and safety awards for this project. So again, it's, I love it so much because of, it has that lovely balance of bringing people into behavioral science with the novelty and really having a really strong, impactful, uh, impactful effect on people's health and safety. Right. 
I think the impact is the biggest aspect of this story. I would say the 82% reduction in working in heights, the 90% plus reduction while working in movement-related uh, activities. That's just crazy if you think about the kind of impact these small mm. uh, sort of not expensive changes had. And uh, you identified the problem very correctly where you targeted saying, hey, these people are very aggressive because they are working with a lot of lot with their bodies, lot with their exp- heavy equipments and all of that. So that built a certain aggression. And then you targeted, so analyzed how we can reduce that. And that's how the pink walls came into play. Uh, you also uh, did a little bit work on, uh, so there is a culture of betting, a culture of uh, lottery in the UK. And you tried to work on that as well by introducing the uh, gold card lottery system. So you have identified the problems really well and that, that clearly uh, is shown. So, Charlie, I think uh, I can talk a lot about with you on the other uh, activities or other behavioral science experiments which uh, you and your company have been doing. But I think my final question to you would be around, so behavioral science, I think, is still predominantly an academic uh, endeavor. And I think you would agree with that. So what should behavioral science companies or a behavioral science architect like yourself have to do to educate uh, companies, to educate organizations that, hey, behavioral science can create real value in terms of uh, dollar savings or increase in revenue or increase in, so as you mentioned, right, winning construction contracts. So what should companies and architects like you should be doing going forward? Yeah, I definitely agree that the the applied behavioral science space is still new relative relative to other sectors. It's still a young and growing sector. I, don't, I think over the ten over the next ten years, so moving into the future, um, the applied space is going to continue to grow. More people are going to see that value of behavioral science, and even larger companies may start having their own internal behavioral science departments, much like some of the larger organisations have started doing now. I think for behavioral science businesses and anybody in the field of behavioral science, um, when you're thinking about applying behavioral science in business contexts, for a lot of those organizations, it's all about the return on investment. Why should they invest in behavioral science? And if they do invest in behavioral science, what impact is that going to have on their business? And often I feel that the best way to present this is like with the Pink Wall study is through the presentation of case studies showing showing the potential impact that behavioral science can have on your business because behavioral science is very context dependent. It, we may have seen those 82% and 92% reductions in, in unsafe behaviors in that study. But if we um, did that experiment with the same company, same construction company, but at a different construction site, we may have had completely different completely different um, results, made a different impact. And if we started applying that in different areas, if you started doing pink walls in, not in construction, but maybe in finance or something, depending on what you want to do. So a strange example, but it's not guaranteed to have that same impact. However, you can show the potential impact that behavioral science can have. So one of my favorites about showing that impact is this story about the $300 million button. Um, do either of you know about the $300 million button by any chance before I tell this story? I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Excellent. So the, um, the $300 million button, this goes back to, this was a large retailer based in America. 
And one of their team, one of the problems they were having is people buying things online. And there was a lot of drop off because if they wanted to buy something, they'd have to log in, they'd have to kind of sign up for their details. If they just wanted to make one purchase and never come back to this company, why would they want to give them their details so they could just constantly throw emails and different marketing material at them? And they were trying to solve this problem of how can we get people to continue through that payment journey and then make that purchase because they were losing quite a lot of money because people didn't want to share their emails. So the one thing that they did, which was the three, $300 million button, was the, the checkout as guest. And what this did really, really effectively is throughout the checkout as guest function, you were inputting all of the information that you would if you were going to sign in if you're going to sign up for for this for this retailer and then once you because you've had that really small commitment at this at the start oh, i'll just check out as guest and then i'll continue that purchase they've made that purchase and then at the end they could be prompted with oh by the way do you just want to do you want to make this an official account with us and then you can continue make it easier for next time you want to buy so in reality customers have done the exact same thing they've signed up for their details but they've reduced that initial commitment up front to get people to complete that payment journey as a result this i think it was about a thousand dollars to integrate this onto their onto their online purchasing journey as a result that that a thousand dollar investment led to 300 million dollars for this retailer and that's for me is really great i mean that is one of the most extortionate returns in investment that I've seen for a lot of behavioral science studies, but that just goes to show the potential power of behavioral science. I think if you can get a 10th of that, even a hundredth of that $300 million return, that can be a monumental impact for any business. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail right on the head when you talk about how, what, what, what are the next steps, which, consultants and behavioral science companies to do it is to tell tell the stories about the positive case studies of the past and how they can be leveraged to create impact and talk about talk in terms of real dollars right talk in terms of rois talk in terms of what is the end output that you could be expecting so i think that's quite awesome and a lot of key takeaways for all of our listeners uh, people who want to get into behavioral science i think there are a lot of good books out there there are a lot of courses which universities have started now so you can always join them a lot of consulting companies uh, which are rooting for behavioral science roles so you can always apply for them but yeah thank you charlie thank you for taking the time out today uh, i personally really enjoyed this conversation and i think behavioral science is a very new field for a lot of our listeners and i think they would be really glad for this conversation as well you're very welcome thank you very much for having me on today thank you and stay tuned.